census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rayho, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are here uh, broadcasting in the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor, brought to you by the Dorkening Podcast Network and Deadly Grounds Coffee. I, of course, am not here on my own, which is a good thing because I need an adult, and if you see one, let her know because I am here with my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is... The Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Queen Regent of Rosé, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Queen of the Monsters, and an Honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. We're learning. Yeah, we're so good at this. We uh, fail English? That's impossible. 300 plus episodes, and I'm just starting to figure out how to do this. Oh, I bent my Wookiee. Well, it's also difficult when, like... I'm trying to speak quickly at the beginning and get through the intro, but like I still have that giant broken tooth and it really screws up how I speak Fuck and I don't like it. Well, no, it doesn't like give me that bad of a lisp. It's just it feels weird but when I'm trying so to use certain words like THs and Fs, like it's very difficult, even a V because that tooth isn't there to block the air from coming out, so it just kind of like it sounds weird it's a little breezy and it feels weird and i don't like it but i don't have insurance and i don't have money for uh, easy breezy beautiful patsy's tooth yeah i don't have any i don't have money for major <laughs> dental reconstruction probably just need dentures at this point you know i'll just get wooden teeth that i'll carve myself oh there you go if anybody has like like Serving crit- George Washington realness. If anybody has like a 3D printer and you want to 3D print me some teeth, I have no molars on the left side of my mouth, so that would be sweet. Uh, but we're uh, we're here today because we recently watched. <laughs> we're we're not talking about dental health. No, no, no. We we recently watched. Uh, well, rewatched because it just came. We saw it in the theater and it recently just came to uh, home VOD, uh, Renfield, and. For me, it's as as of right now, as of watching over 160 films, this is my favorite film of the year. And so we decided we wanted to discuss, because we already discussed uh, Dracula when we did our, our Universal Monsters uh, kick a few years ago. Jesus, how long ago was that? That a was a long, long time long ago. A long time ago. Um, we, uh, In a podcast galaxy far away. But since this is at least the opening, very clearly an homage, and it's taking characters from Dracula. So I actually saw, um, they meant it to be a sequel. Interesting. I haven't I haven't heard that. Yeah, uh, I read an article saying that the creators, filmmakers, writers, meant it to be a direct sequel to 1931. 31? 31? It's, yeah, it's either 31 or 32. 
With Todd Browning, who also did correct. Freaks. Um, yeah, that version of, of, of Dracula. Dr. Acula, Bella Lugosi. So it turned out to be more of like a, not necessarily a, a direct sequel, but a, a, a sequel. It, it, it's it's, it's, it's in the sequel. universe. It does take it's, place directly after, you know, it's, it's the same characters. It's the same, you know, situation for the most part. But we wanted to talk about Renfield and give you an idea of like who he was like, you know, in the book by uh, Bram Stoker and also the uh, the portrayal by Nicholas Holt. And I suppose we could... Uh, no, let's just talk, let's discuss with those, because I was going to say the Keanu Reeves character, but he was Jonathan Harker. He wasn't... So Tom Waits actually was... That's right. Renfield yeah. in the 92 version. And Tom Waits was the inspiration for Heath Ledger's Joker. That doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but uh, there's a fact you now but know. But there's something that you're you, welcome. Yes, you know that, and you may not have known it before. So we uh, we were chatting as we were getting ready to do this episode because this uh, this is another one of those over the top Nick Cage roles. So we wanted to discuss for our getting into character question this week. What are your top five Nick Cage roles? Now, for those of you who are frequent listeners to the show, you know that I love me some Nick Cage. Excuse me, who? Uh, sorry, Academy Award winner, Nicolas Cage. Now, I am uh, a huge proponent of everything he does. I haven't seen all of his films, and you actually reminded me of one today that I, was, I completely forgot about, despite the fact I've seen it like 40 times. Um... But we're going to get into that. So who, what is on your list of your top five Nick Cage performances? Okay, so because we were having this conversation earlier, I chose characters that I knew for a fact would not be on your list. Um, I also did not choose any honorable mentions, so it's just a flat-out five. Because, again, oh, right. I, I got, knew... I got uh, well, I figured you would have that covered. Um, so in no particular order... We have Randy from Valley Girl, which is one Never of his seen. earlier roles, like early 80s Nicolas Cage, when he was still going, uh, I believe he was still going by Nicolas Coppola at that point. Um, Ronnie Camamari. Cam, 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 I can never pronounce this. Camarari. It's his role from Moonstruck. Uh, fantastic. If you haven't seen that film, Cher won an Oscar for it. She is fantastic. Olympia Dukakis is in it as well. It is such a good film. Um, but anyway, Cher's character is engaged to be married to Nicolas Cage's character's brother and she doesn't really like him she doesn't really care you know it's just like oh he asked me to marry him so i said yes and then she falls in love with ronnie nicholas cage and it's this whole thing and it's hilarious and he's he's really good in this um next on my list is his character of doug chesnick in guarding tess starring opposite of shirley mclean so in this one he is uh 
Guarding like Tess. Se- well, he's a Secret Service bodyguard type of person um, put in charge of Guarding Tess, who is a former... That's the name of the I movie. I know. Um, Shirley MacLaine's character, who was a former... Well, is a former First Lady in the film. And like he's put in charge of uh, being her... like. Secret Service agent and following her around and hilarity ensues. It's actually really good. Um, next on my list is what we were talking about earlier, Patsy. Charlie Lang in It Could Happen to You. So that's a film. He stars opposite Bridget Fonda, Rosie Perez. He's a cop and he's at a diner. He doesn't have money for a tip. And so he tells his waitress, who is Bridget Fonda, look, I'll come back tomorrow. I'll either give you double. He has this lottery ticket and he's like, I'll I'll either double your tip tomorrow or I'll give you half of whatever I win off of this lottery ticket. And lo and behold, he wins the lottery that night. And that's the pretty much the premise of the film is is them kind of forming this relationship, uh, much to the chagrin of Rosie Perez, who is Nicholas Cage's girlfriend, girlfriend movie, his yeah. character's girlfriend, uh, and it's actually really good. It's it's very it's a very sweet film, and it's, it's very really charming. good. I and liked they do, it a lot. Yeah, I was saying they they do a lot of good, like spending their money doing a lot of good things for people and stuff. Like um, I said, I I watched this movie about forty times. Yeah, that came out in like early nineties. It was ninety four. Yeah, you talked about yeah because I I thought it was ninety three, and you told me it was ninety four. And then last on my list is the role that Nicolas Cage won his Oscar for, Ben Sanderson in Leaving Las Vegas. He stars opposite Elizabeth Shue, and it was also a really interesting role for Elizabeth Shue because she plays this prostitute, um, which was a far cry from some of the you know good girl next door characters that she has played up up until that like point. Like Allie or Adventures in Babysitting Lady. Yeah. Um, and Nicholas Cage, was Thor. he, um, is a, I believe he's a writer in Hollywood. He is, a, he, he's trying to the, slowly well, drink himself. To well, death. that's yeah, that's exactly it. Like he's an alcoholic. He gets fired from his job for being an alcoholic because it's affecting every part of his life. Um, his, I believe his like family wants nothing to do with him at this point. And so he's like, I have nothing else. Like I have nothing to lose. I'm going to go to Vo- Las Vegas and I'm going to drink myself to death like that. That, that was his goal. Um, and it's uh, it's a really interesting film because it's it's kind of a dark comedy. There's definitely some, but anyways, um, if you haven't seen it, definitely see it. It's it's pretty good. But yeah, it was uh, it's a very interesting character for him to play, kind of different from some of the other characters that he had played up until that point. Yeah, so my my top five are also a bunch that you haven't seen, and then I got a bunch of. Uh... Uh, honorable mention. So there's a mixture of some you have seen, some that you haven't. Uh, Cameron Poe in Con Air put the bunny back in the box. Like, that was with uh, John Cusack and, and Danny Trejo and Ving Rhames. You see, I haven't seen that. Is Ving Rhames in that? I could have sworn. Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi plays like this crazy cannibal psychopath. Um... Who the hell is it? Uh, MC Ganey, John Malkovich as Cyrus the Virus. Uh, really, really good. Like, so good. Uh, obviously, I loved him as Dracula in Renfield. 
uh, Ben Benjamin Franklin Gates in National Treasure and mm. National Treasure Two. Those are really good movies. good movies. Like, I believe, and if I I may be wrong, but I I, I want to check this real quick because uh, they they remind me very much of um, the Mummy films. Like, they're super fun to watch over and over. They're um, like they're entertaining. Like there's some uh, amazing sets. Well, they're and they're all they're both kind of historically driven. Yeah, yeah. As, as far as you know, and a the, lot of it takes place in the... like you know Boston and New York, Philadelphia. So mm-hmm. it's local ish. Uh, Caster Troy slash Sean Archer in uh, Face Off. So good. Uh, John Woo at the height of his powers, really. Um, but yeah, so, so good in that one. Uh, and then Rob from pig, which is one of my favorite roles he's ever done. Well, it's funny you say that because in interviews, he says that that is of all the films that he's done. That is his favorite role. Like that, that's his favorite film that he's ever done. He's somebody described it as John wick, but with a pig instead of a dog. And it's like, that's a gross oversimplification if you haven't seen it. But yeah, it's along those lines. But like, again, gross oversimplification. Uh, it's a lot more nuanced uh, than that. Uh, so I did have multiple uh, uh, honorable mentions because that's what we do here. So uh, Hero from Prisoners of the Ghostlands. That definitely has one of those cage moments where he's like, don't fucking touch me. I will karate chop you. Like, it's so funny. It's over the top. Uh, Richard Brake, not Richard Brake, Bill Mosley is in that. Oh. I kind of get those two guys confused because they play very similar roles. Uh, always like, I'm a scary, intimidating guy. Uh, but uh, Bill Mosley is good as the villain in this. Um, I Surprise, Bill Mosley's a bad guy. Like, I didn't want to anybody to you know spoiler alert you know uh, Johnny Blaze from Ghost Rider I fucking love the Ghost Rider movies I don't give a shit uh, they're so good they're so much fun uh, some of the writing is terrible like when he stands up Penelope Cruz because is it Penelope Cruz not Penelope Cruz fuck isn't it Ava Mendez Ava Mendez I don't know why I get them confused I'm confusing everybody today uh, he stands her up at at dinner because he turns into Ghost Rider for the first time, and she's like all depressed, and like the waiter's walking by, and she's like, "You think I'm pretty, don't you?" And he's just like, "Eh," and walks away. <laughs> also has uh, Rebel Wilson in a, a young Rebel Wilson in one of her first roles. I know uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the first one. Are there multiple ones? There's two. There's two? Okay, yeah. Definitely haven't seen the second one, but I, I don't believe I've seen the first film in its entirety. Oh, it's so much fun. It's so much... Like, he plays, like, an invincible stuntman. Like, he eats, like, handful of jelly beans and watches chimp movies. Like, I think they just took that straight from the trailer because that's how I would spend my time. Like, it's awesome. Uh, the janitor from Willy's Wonderland... Mm. Such a 
a very big departure from him uh, as far as the dialogue is concerned. Mm. Uh, and then the last one, uh, uh, Nicolas Cage in uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Such a good movie. So much fun. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to see it, that was one of my favorites from last year. Um, highly recommend it. And Nick Cage is actually like the number one person I want to work with. Like I have a list of like a hundred different actors and directors and producers and Nick Cage is number one because I think we would become friends. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna add an honorable mention to mine. Well, yeah, which you is should. one that you, so uh, going one you haven't mentioned yet, um, Kickass. Right, we talked about his that character earlier. in Kickass. Yeah, Big Daddy in Kickass, who is you know essentially just doing a, an impression of Adam West. Uh, kind of. No, he's one hundred. When he's when he's when he's in costume. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. He's absolutely doing uh, the 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 what you call it. But yeah. Um, so that's our list. Did you maybe have somebody else? You know, maybe the guy from Gone in sixty seconds, or uh, 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 the the one where he's in the jungle, or. Primal, or um, I don't know. There's a bunch. There's so many Nick Cage movies. Well, I mean, he has 107 acting credits on IMDb. Yeah, I mean, so. maybe you like him as uh, Spider-Man Noir. The one I will say that I would probably be number one if it ever happened. Uh, I would have loved to have seen him as Superman in, in uh, Superman Lives. I believe was that? yeah, Superman Lives. That was supposed to be directed by Tim Burton. He got paid $100 million to play Superman. And for folks who don't know, we talked about this on like one of our first handful of episodes. He's a huge comic book fan. Like The reason his name is Nick Cage and not Nick Coppola, partly because he didn't want, you know, he didn't want to think that he was a Nepo baby, mm-hmm. basically. He wanted to get by on his own skill, which he has. Um uh, but he named himself after Luke Cage, hero for hire, and his son's name is Kal-El. So he's a huge, huge Superman nerd. Like, I mean, just comics in general, but yeah, which is why I was so happy to see him as uh, as Ghost Rider, and I really think he belongs in the MCU. Like, put him in the MCU. I don't give a shit what, put him in the MCU. What, you going to say something? No, I was just going to say I, I, I agree. I agree. So let us know what some of your, your favorite uh, Nick Cage roles are. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk Renfield, and uh, we're going to play the trailer for you as well. So stick around. We'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Sorry to interrupt. Are you okay? 
I need to get out of a toxic relationship. Why don't you start by telling us what brought you here? My boss, he's different. You can't get him out of your head. No. I need your assistance. I'm coming, master! Oh, you feel like he could destroy you with the snap of his fingers. Wouldn't even need to snap. Okay. Uh-huh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, what? Renfield. Bringing innocent victims. I want a handful of nuns, a busload of cheerleaders. And I just want a normal life again. But this modern world is a dangerous place. Thank you. You saved my life. Did I watch you cut a guy with a decorative serving platter? It's in the wrist. Let me explain. My boss gave me this power. In return, I tend to his needs, including care, feeding. You bring in people to eat? You're like the guy that gets the villain's postmates. But if you were to stop focusing on his needs, what would happen? He won't grow to full power. Exactly. He won't grow to full power. What? That's so weird. Why would you phrase it like that? But yes. Hi. Are you here for the meeting? Well, come on. No! No! Some call me the Dark One. Others, the Lord of Death. To most, I am Dracula. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. Now, let's eat. And we've returned. Bleh! I don't know if that, that was my, <laughs> that was my Dracula impression. Bleh! Um, so we're to, to, uh, today we are discussing Renfield, the, uh, sidekick slash assistant, uh, of count, uh, Prince Dracula, Count Dracula. I don't know. He, I'm sure he knows how to count. Uh, he, uh, he one, was introduced, Dracula. Uh, uh, uh. he was introduced in Bram Stoker's novel, which came out like a bajillion years ago. In 1897. Right. So in the late 1800s, as opposed to when I was in high school, which was the late 1900s. Um, so 1897, so 126 years ago. He is a very interesting character, and I know you have a ton of notes on him. Uh, he's not the most famous uh, assistant, probably because way more movies have been made. When movies are made about Dracula, they tend to omit Renfield. Like, for the most part, like, you know, if you look at John Carpenter's Vampires or... or um, uh, the Monster Squad or, you know, a lot of the, you know, any of the Blade films, like, you don't really get to see Renfield because it's always Dracula running around kicking the shit out of everybody by himself because he doesn't need the help. Whereas whenever there's a Frankenstein movie, there's always an Igor and that Igor character has almost become like synonymous with 
like any lab assistant like we saw in, say, A Nightmare Before Christmas uh, with Dr. Finkelstein and his lab assistant. Like, they're always like these weird hunchback uh, goofball. Like, but even in, say, uh, movies where you will have both Frankenstein and Dracula, Renfield is omitted and they'll give you Igor. Uh, and I give you Van Helsing from 2004 to prove that point. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't care what anybody says, I fucking love Van Helsing. It's so much fun. If you love the Mummy movies, I don't understand why you wouldn't like uh, the Van Helsing. Because it's Steven Soderbergh, it's the, the several of the same actors, it's the same camp and fun and that was supposed to kick off like the 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 resurrection oh good word for this specific topic of like the universal monsters you know like they're trying to do now with you know there's and they're struggling uh you know trying to resurrect the the monster verse you know with tom cruise's mummy and johnny depp as the invisible man and what was the other one there was another one that came out like the mummy and I don't know I, I thought there might have been a third one that came out but they had Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll you you remember that like and they had like all the like they had the hand of the the creature from the Black Lagoon wasn't in his that office. in the most recent mummy movie that, that came a, out yeah that was like the, when they tried to kickstart the monster verse again because Van Helsing tanked that you know late 90s early 2000s uh, attempt at resurrection and then they tried it again about 15 years later with the mummy and the wolfman and that's was the other one the wolfman with benicio del toro and uh anthony hopkins which wasn't great i want to say that came out in like 2010 we watched it and it wasn't wasn't fantastic but anyways before before i get off on even more of a tangent it's already been four minutes um we're talking about Renfield, who is uh, one of the one of the most, you know, important uh, important fixtures in vampire lore. Because without Renfield, we have no Gizmo. Oh, not you, Gizmo! So I just want to throw that out there for you know, uh, for folks who aren't familiar with the character. I'm not overly familiar with him, which is um, which is why I'm glad you did a lot of uh, research. So I'm going to turn it over to you and tell us uh, a little bit of more, well, a lot more, about, uh, what the hell is his whole name? Robert? Robert Montague, Montague Renfield. Renfield. Esquire the Third. Yeah, Esquire. so he's he is a fictional character who appears in Bram Stoker's 1897 gothic horror novel Dracula. He is Count Dracula's deranged, fanatically devoted servant and familiar, helping him in his plan to turn Mina Harker into a vampire in return for a continuous supply of insects to consume and the promise of immortality. Throughout the novel, he resides in an asylum where he is treated by Dr. John Seward. Now... We don't really know too, too much because the perspective of Renfield that we get from the novel is from the doctor's perspective. We don't get 
much of or any of his internal monologuing or, you know, the story from from his perspective. It's all from the doctor's perspective. I just had a, a, a thought that I wanted to because I remembered a trailer from uh, this came out in 1995. I remembered a trailer for Dracula Dead and Loving It, the Mel Brooks movie. Yes. With uh, Leslie Nielsen as Dracula. Peter McNichol was Renfield. Mm-hmm. They actually had a, someone play Renfield, and it was a fucking comedy. Like, it's so rare that he gets any screen time. Not Peter McNichol. I just, Renfield in general. Well, actually, he does get a lot of screen time. Uh, Renfield is uh, a character found in several different, or I should say, uh, or a, a Renfield-like character. So um, in the kind of an aside in the 1922 silent film Nosferatu with uh, Max Shrek there is a Renfield like character um I want to say his name is like knock was changed to knock uh but he because it's not it's not Dra- Dracula it's Count Orlock um is the is the vampire yeah. creature uh, Peter. Yeah. Yes, his name is Knock. Yes. Yeah. So, so that character. So, a lot of times, what they do is they pass on that familiar, that that devoted familiar character to somebody else, or it's we a did Renfield. See that a lot in Blade too. You know, it's a Renfield-like character, but a different name. Um, or sometimes uh, I, 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 I forget. Um, now because it's not in my notes but in my research i glossed over some stuff um almost like uh relatives of renfield kind of like a young frankenstein uh kind of kind of where yeah Um, yeah it's like the the journey whereas our renfield from renfield is 142 years old yeah our our, yeah our, our renfield from nicholas holt his renfield um is the renfield from the, the beginning, yeah, the, yes. the, the, the beginning. He's been with Count Dracula for a very long time. Um, but anyway, so back to the novelization where this character got its start. Um, he was uh, a rather... No, I was to say he wasn't delusional. He suffered uh, from delusions, which compelled him to eat living creatures in the hopes of obtaining their life force for himself. And that is something that Dracula uh, would do. It was part of, of what Dracula did to him. Now, in the novelization, it is believed that he was, uh, Renfield was a kind of a sick man already, um, mentally weak, which is why it was so easy for Dracula to kind of pinpoint him. And, you know, it didn't take much persuading to be like, here, come, you know, be my, be my loyal servant. And, and I will see a little bit grant of that you. in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but there was a lot more happening with him mentally like he was not well um which made him have a strong influence on the weak-minded you know whereas in the in the most recent film um he's just kind of a a pushover he's a doormat he's uh yeah he if you would see one of those people who is lacking a backbone so it's it's also you know when you think of where he came from and how things have been for him 
like he was brought in during a time where, and this is going to surprise people, the aristocrats were treated way differently from the common working folks. And, you know, basically you would do whatever the aristocrat said all the time, and he just kind of carried that over. I mean, granted, yes, Dracula has this power and influence over him and would there was definitely a bit of Stockholm syndrome and gaslighting and like pretty much every other type of, of, you know, abuse going on. Like this is a hundred percent, a toxic abusive relationship. Um, he just, you know, never saw another way out of it. Even when, you know, like we see in the film, he's going to these meetings for people who have, like abusive, uh, who are in abusive relationships, he's just like, I can use these people. Like, he doesn't even make the connection of, I'm in an abusive relationship. Well, he, he doesn't until he does. Right. Until he realizes, oh shit, like, I can't just, you know, spew some. He's trying to, yeah, and- like, he's trying to be a do gooder and kill people or, or, or not kill, but. Bring Jeracula food victims, uh, people who who deserve it deserve to kind be killed. Kind of like a Dexter, or he's like a vigilante, like he's getting rid yeah. of the bad I mean, people. There's, so there's the a little bit people. of a conscience there, and that actually stems from the original Renfield character from the novel. So what happens is uh, Dracula wants Mina Harker to be his vampire bride, and enlists the help of Renfield to make that happen. And Renfield has, you know, in his psychotic state, um, has a bit of a, of a reckoning, of a change of heart, of a, kind of like a, a, a breakthrough of niceness, so to speak. His heart grew three um, sizes that day. Yes, yeah. And instead... Uh, attempts to convince her to go away and you know do not allow yourself to be put under Dracula's spell and he's only going to you know use you and abuse you like he has Renfield um Renfield in the book suffers a terrible death at the hands of Dracula and I don't recall if that happened in the original 1931 film We'd have it's to been a, it. I say it's been a, it's been a, it's been a minute since I've seen it, um, but in the book he does. Dracula does kill him, and uh, part of the reason why he he's also in this kind of like psychosis, mental state. Um, it's believed again he entered into it, but it was partially due to the fact that he was having like he could hear dracula in his brain like in his mind and there were times where dracula's voice was the only voice that he could hear like he couldn't even hear his own thoughts at times it was just dracula's voice and that ultimately drew him drove him even crazier than he already was yes so there's a little bit of a fun fact here 
The character of Renfield has influenced the study of real-life behavior in psychiatric patients with an obsession with drinking blood. The term Renfield syndrome was coined by psychologist Richard Knoll in 1992, originally as a joke term to describe clinical vampirism. Correspondingly, there is also a, quote, vampire personality disorder, or VPD, a diagnosis for clinical vampirism used for for the behavioral profiling of serial killers compelled by bloodlust and for patients who act out violent vampiric fantasies, albeit this diagnosis is not recognized by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I had a slightly different name of you. What did you say the guy's name? Richard what? Richard Knoll. I have Richard L. Vandenberg and John F. Kelly. Um... But that might it might just be this was uh, the earliest presentation of clinical vampirism in psychiatric literature was a psychoanalytic interpretation of two cases contributed by Richard L. Vandenberg and John F. Kelly. So the effects of Renfield syndrome follows the pathology of the character in the novel consisting of several stages. Initially, the patient exhibit exhibits zoophagia. A compulsion to eat insects or to eat live animals or oh, eat live animals or drink their blood. As the condition worsens, the behavior grows more and more deviant, culminating in a compulsion to drink another person's blood in an act described as true vampirism, including intentionally harming another individual for that purpose. The same behavior Renfield is seen exhibiting in the novel. So in the novel, he starts small. He starts with flies. He starts with death head moths, uh, works his way up to spiders um eventually starts eating birds uh and that this is all while he's in the asylum as well so because he believes that their life force will grant him immortality and i really loved how that translated to the film that we just saw um because Renfield uses the life force of these bugs, these creepy crawly creatures, uh, to give him supernatural powers. So in normal every day to day, you know, he has the ability to kind of look and act. Well, maybe not so much look, but act like a functioning person and if necessary if the situation arises um he can consume insects and all of a sudden he's superhuman he has superhuman strength he's quick uh speed he, reflexes endurance stamina yeah yeah like he, he can he can kind of open he can kind of fly a little bit too and it's also he can, he can jump leap. he can leap he can leap from tall buildings he can leap and he's very quick so it's like kind of how you know we saw in you know every vampire movie like he's got the heightened skills but he's still only like a fraction of what dracula's true power is like even if he eats like all the bugs like he will still lose in a fight to dracula right and uh dracula's blood 
is a healing agent. Like, I guess there's just kind of like a universal healing agent, but especially for Renfield. So he's able to go and have his guts pretty much sliced out of him, and he can hobble his way back to Dracula's... Well, no, Dracula did that to him. Like, because he, in the film, he gets, the guy cuts him open, but then Dracula reopens the wound. Well, yeah, but he also heals him. Yeah, but I mean, like, he, do, he does, he happens, it happens to him twice okay, in the well, I'm, I, Okay, well, I'm, I'm talking about the first time when, like, he's holding his guts together, bringing all the people to him, and Count Dracula is like, this isn't what I want. I want happy couples right, and but he, nuns and busloads of cheerleaders. But he, he, well, what I'm saying is he had gotten his guts ripped open by the assassin, and then he put all his guts back, and then Dracula ripped him back open. So it was twice. Okay, well, I'm just... So long story short, Dracula's blood has crazy healing powers. And it's not just for Renfield. It's universal. But obviously he uses it on Renfield because it's in his own best interest, personal interest, to keep Renfield alive because he's, he's doing his bidding. Because he's a universal donor. Yes, he's yes. He's O negative, which is very, very different from... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Renfield... Who towards the end, like you realize his his blood type is B positive. So there have been <laughs> other uh, versions of Renfield, and probably um, most known is Todd Browning's 1931's uh, Dracula film. Renfield was played by Dwight Fry. He's a real estate agent who is sent to Transylvania um, in hopes of selling, trying to persuade Dracula to sell his castle um, and obviously falls under Dracula's spell and becomes his his devoted servant, his familiar. Um, Also... In the 92 version of Bram Stoker's Dracula, Tom Waits portrays Renfield. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, earlier, and then I talked... Or was that when we... See, I don't remember, because we had to restart the opening, and I know we mentioned it once, and I don't remember if it was the one that we used or the one we didn't use. Because I was like, oh yeah, Tom Waits was also the inspiration for Heath Ledger's Joker. So the 92 version of the film suggests that Renfield was Jonathan Harker's predecessor as Count Dracula's agent in London. It is implied that this is the reason for his madness. He tries to persuade Mina to stay out of Dracula's grasp, out of jealousy, angry that Dracula plans to give her immortality instead of him. So instead of having like almost like a turn of, of, of conscious, you know, like a, a change of conscious, you know. Conscience. Con- yeah, that's what I said. No, oh, you said conscious. A change of, you know, and always let your conscious be your guide. Conscience. There's an N at the end. How is it spelled? C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Conscience? Conscience. You know how I know that? Because that was in uh, As Good As It Gets, and when... Helen Hunt was writing the note to Jack Nicholson. She literally said the same thing. She goes, that doesn't look right. Con science? Yes, that's how conscience is spelled. Like Jiminy Cricket, the little dude. Yeah, and always let your conscience be your guide. Conscience. That's an N. Conscious is a different 
like, oh, I'm awake. Oh, he's finally regained consciousness. It doesn't mean he's suddenly, like, grown a moral code in two different things. Okay, you're going from zero to 360. Am I putting myself on a pedestal? You're putting yourself on a pedestal, <laughs> and a th- I can't deal. That's uh, that's a callback for those of you who listened the last couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, anyways. So, anyways, um, a lot of the different iterations of this character they're all pretty much the same and they don't really stray so much until we get to nicholas holt's version of renfield in this year's 2023's movie renfield well i think most of that reasoning is because like the again the closest we have would be guillermo from what we do in the shadows because most of these movies are taking place 125 years ago. Like, most of them are taking place when Dracula's at the height of his powers. Like, a Van Helsing always ends up killing him. Like, you don't get to see Renfield in this day and age with, you know, the advances in, like, self-care and mental health. Like, those weren't a thing in, you know, it's like that meme that goes around. It's like, oh... You got ghosts in your blood. Better do cocaine about it. You know, like that was a typical. Uh, there was a uh, a Saturday Night Live sketch where Steve Martin was a barber, but like he was also passing out medical advice. And the guy's like, "Oh, I my hand hurts." It's like, "Oh, we need to cut off three of your fingers." It's like, "Are you sure?" It's like, "Hey, who's the barber here?" You know, like that's the height of medicine at that point. You know, mm-hmm. back when you know the the you know any time a woman displayed any signs of math or, or, or science. She was either a witch or she was hysterical and had to be locked up in an asylum where they... Uh, Live, used... love, lobotomy. Well, that's when they invented the vibrator because that was the, uh, the cure for uh, every, every problem a woman had was uh, uh, clitoral stimulation. And then the doctors decided they didn't want to do it anymore. So the vibrator was invented. And that's specifically why. That's, see, that should have been my science fact. <laughs> but, yeah, so getting to see this gradual progression uh, over 125-plus years of how life should be and, like, you know, these self-help groups and, like, all this different stuff that he... Uh, you know, experienced and the advancements in medical and and uh, psychological technology and and treatments. That's why we never get to see that. And again, the closest thing we have is Gizmo, who is just like. And the only reason he stopped being super loyal is because it's like, oh, you're not gonna turn me into a vampire. Fine, fuck you then. I'm gonna do things my way, and. You know, Nandor just can't live without him. One of the things I really liked is um, the way they kind of give you backstory without beating you over the head with it. So 
they do a fabulous job of placing these two characters, doing this whole homage to the original Dracula uh, with uh, the Bella Lugosi lighting and everything. It was it was really cool to see. But anyways, we learn that, you know, Renfield was a real estate agent, uh, wanted to try to get Dracula to sell his castle out of greed because Renfield wanted the money. Uh, Dracula easily manipulated him into being his servant, his familiar, and Renfield had no problem leaving his family. We know that there was a wife and a child that he had no problem leaving behind uh, for this life of expected extravagance. Yeah, he thought he was going to live high on the hog, like... You know, it, basically, Dracula would be his uh, sugar daddy. Like, that's what he was thinking of. Like, he would be, you know, the second in command, and, like, you know, Dracula would take him all over the place, thinking that Dracula was just uh, uh, not esoteric. What's the word? Uh, like, an aristic, like, um, <sighs> eclectic, not eclectic, eccentric, an eccentric aristocrat. You know how rich people always get really fucking weird, especially when they have tons of money and like they do weird shit. And it's oh like, my god, those are my favorite kind of weird uh, of 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 rich people. But like the weird that, ones, he just assumed that's what Dracula was, and it's like, oh look at that, he sleeps upside down and turns into a bat. Whoa, what a wacky thing to do! Like, oh, I would do that too if I had some money. But we get to, we also get to see you know how they've survived over the years and kind of like how the how the mighty have fallen, right? Because they know, don't have any more money, right? Well, yeah, there's there's really no money. Um, they still have to move around from place to place. It's no longer castle to castle. It's and what's you know they're they're living in a broken down remote it's abandoned, just a, a, abandoned hospital. hospital. And and that's the thing is, for all his powers and strengths and abilities, Dracula is so dependent on Renfield to do everything for him. The and I didn't think about it until just now because they did do this in a Halloween episode. But that's Mister Burns and Smithers. Mister Burns and Smithers. That's Dracula and Renfield. Mm-hmm. Like and again, yeah. they did. They did that in the Halloween episode, but like, that's the type of, it's, I can't even call it symbiotic because Smithers doesn't get anything from this relationship. But, I, I, Smithers gets something out of this relationship. He's sexually attracted to Mr. Burns, but Mr. Burns never acts on it because he doesn't reciprocate his feelings. And Mr. Burns has told him that... You know, he's like, oh, I don't I got to I in the episode Burns is air. He had to come up with someone who is going to, uh, you know, who he would leave his vast fortune to. And Smithers is like, mm, uh, <coughs> and he's like, you no, 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 no. You're going to be buried alive with me when I go. Yeah, see, Smithers provides him with countless countless masturbatory fantasies and and that is that is priceless i mean mr burns provides smithers with that but i mean like there's no 
again, it's very similar in that where it's like, yeah, when I go, I'm taking it. And, and that's how Dracula is to Renfield. Like, Dracula relies on him to pay property taxes and, you know, well, when things start to you know, dispose of bodies and come up with alibis and come up with excuses why he's not out and about and then move him from place to place to place to place. You know, he didn't get from, you know, uh, Transylvania to fucking New Orleans on his own. He couldn't book passage on a ship like he had. And we're going to see that in uh, I'm wondering if there's a Renfield character in the last voyage of the Demeter coming out soon, because that's a Dracula movie. So we'll see if that one has any even uh, uh, reference to to Renfield. But otherwise, like, how does he get, you know, vampires require familiars for specific reasons and it's for the stuff that they need to keep them hidden Renfield just did not understand that that's what he was doing like he thought it was going to be you know women and parties and money and extravagant luxury like you were saying right so we kind of flash forward to present day and we see how he just he's just over it he's lethargic he's Clearly, this wasn't what he signed up for, and uh, it's lasted a lot longer than he had anticipated as well. And it's kind of looking for uh, a way out, uh, not initially, but through his own personal growth. He realizes that there's more to life than just being somebody's servant and, you know, murdering people or almost murdering people so that they can be constrained of their blood for Dracula. And he also learns that he is worth more than how Dracula is treating him. Right. There's more to him than just being, you know, Dracula's assistant. Because you saw how pissed uh, Dracula gets when someone refers to him as Renfield's boss. And it's like, oh, no, no, way more than that. Like, like, he's just so angry. And it's almost like he didn't even want to be associated with him. Like, even though Renfield has been his loyal servant forever, he is so ready to just cast him aside, find somebody new. Well, because Renfield isn't providing him with... The undying, unfettered loyalty. He feels that Renfield is no longer adequate to his needs. And after years of... of, Over a century. uh, Give or take. Because he was probably in his early 20s. You know, people married young. I'm I'm, I'm talking about Dracula right now. Oh, I'm talking about the the, the service. Talking about Dracula right now, he comes to the conclusion that he needs more. He wants world domination. What are they doing? Just you know, sitting around all day. Because mm-hmm. Renfield can't can't do that for him because he doesn't have those connections. You know, so Dracula wants more. Dracula wants to take over the world. He wants to be the. He said he wants to be a god. Y- yes. Yes, and and Renfield is not 
I don't know if it's not that he he can't, but he's no longer willing to do that through these connections that he's making, these actual human connections, uh, friends that he's making, becoming a better person, having an inner mantra, getting out on his own, buying his own apartment, decorating his own apartment, buying dressing himself. Yeah, you know, uh, putting some thought and effort into how he presents himself. Baking snickerdoodles. Co- yeah, murder cookies. Yeah. yeah, combing his hair. But I mean, like, he also, like, Dracula's, uh, uh, his whole thing with Renfield, and I think what finally pushes Renfield over the edge is no matter all this service that he gave him, all these decades, over a century of... Just can't get no respect. Pretty much. He's Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, I can't get no regard. No regard at all. No esteem either. Um, He ends up being thrown to the side. And it's just like... Well, and and that's just it. These years, over a century of loyalty to this one person, uh, easily, easily pushed aside for this person teddy lobo teddy fucking lobo but before you know who promises him the mm -hmm. world for the most part and before he uh you know instead of just casting uh what's his name casting redenfield aside like he doesn't even do that he's like first i'm gonna destroy everyone and everything you ever loved anything you cared about i'm gonna go fuck it up like as like, I don't think he was originally going to kill Renfield. He was just going to be like, I'm going to destroy everything that you ever cared about, and you're going to have to sit there and deal with it. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because now I have this army of drug kingpins. But he sees that Renfield, uh, instead of going out and doing what he was supposed to be doing, doing Dracula's bidding, he was going out and being a good person. Yeah. Saving people, yeah. saving lives instead of taking them. Yeah, and that saving the nuns and the busloads of cheerleaders and instead the happy of deli- couples, right? And the, and the happy and the, and the tourists instead of delivering them to Dracula's front door, right? And Dracula believes that Renfield is a traitor in that regards, which exactly. obviously he's not, but that's how he views it. And he sees the Lobo family, these drug dealers who pretty much have this entire city on lockdown um, as a way, as a stepping so- stone to to get what he wants. And so it's easy for him to just cast Renfield aside because he's no longer needed. And Renfield has to deal with that too. Because for so long, this has been his personality. He's been a doer, a go-getter, a lackey, a fetcher, a gopher, you know? Uh, So now he's at this moment in his life where he can actually live it for himself. But he's got to do a couple of things first. Like, I don't know, kill Dracula. Yeah, and knowing because that's... he knew, yeah, because he knew that he would never be fully free, because he was still under Dracula's uh, psychic capabilities. Control. Yeah. Yes, he was. He was still his thrall. Uh, he I could still, like Dracula was still in his head. He could still hear him. He could still, you know, Dracula could still communicate with him. You know, in that way, and he knew that he would never truly be rid of Dracula. Uh, until he he got rid of him, he killed him, or at least you know made it so 
he couldn't uh, control him anymore. I don't think that would ever go away because Dracula gave him part of his power. Like, he has some of Dracula's blood in him. Like, I think that's something that's always going to be there, um, you know, until he dies, which you have to wonder how long is he, because he hasn't aged. No, he's between the life force of the insects that he consumes and the... Con- the consuming of, of Dracula's blood, which is probably so incredibly tainted at this point, um, he, he's been able to pretty much be immortal for the past century. Yeah, like he can, he can still, I'm sure he can be killed, but I don't think he can well, I mean, die yeah, of he old can probably, Well, I mean, we've, he was ripped apart if it wasn't for Dracula putting yeah, him back Dracula together. Yeah, Dracula ripped him open, and he was ripped open by the other guy uh, with the racist name. He cuts people's tongues out. You tell him his name is racist. Um, yeah, he... Uh, yeah, yeah it, it, he can definitely be hurt, and he can definitely... Even like even in his like super powerful states, like he can heal back up, but if he was damaged significantly enough, you know, beheaded or something, he would die. If he got shot, you know, like, because he wasn't just sitting there tanking bullets. He was moving out of the way like he's trying not to be hurt um so i'm sure that there's a way to to take him out but i'm kind of hoping that there's a, a a sequel to this and like just focuses only on uh renfield but like what would even this what would the story be the story would be him going out doing good trying to you know make up for the things that he did using his bug-eating powers. You know, it's like a vigilante movie. He would be, for lack of a better term, Batman. You know? So I, I think that there could be a, a sequel to this. If there isn't, that's fine, too. See, I don't I don't think there could be, because, you know... You know, there's always... There always can Well, don't be. even... Just don't even... Don't even plant that bug out there. Well, I'm sure that bug has already been chewed on and digested because it's not necessary and the main driving plot you know plot point of story is renfield and dracula dracula is dead or so we think what does he say i don't even think i don't even know if this will kill him but it'll take him a long time to get back together so i mean they do they do use a very creative set of methods on Dracula. But you'd think if anyone knew how to kill Dracula, it would be Renfield. Oh, the person who he's cohabitated with for the past hundred years. Hundred plus years, yeah. So I don't know, just throwing it out there. But this is probably a pretty good spot to kind of wrap things up. Yeah, I was just gonna say that it was interesting to kind of see this character A get his do's you know have a film that's solely based on this character um and to bring this character into modern times and give this character a happy ending yeah i i always like when you take characters who are like i don't just mean like oh let's do another sherlock holmes ripoff you know like with house um but it's like let's take a character or the sherlock holmes series with say Benedict Cumberbatch and, and uh, Martin Freeman but like 
a character whose natural progression would take them to today. So you couldn't do like, you know, even like a young Frankenstein where, you know, he's from a family of surgeons and doctors and, and, uh, you know, also weirdos, you know, and it's like somebody's kid or great grandfather or something, whatever. Um, bringing those stories into today. It's not always successful, which we saw with Sleepy Hollow. Uh, but I think if done right, like this was, it could be very, very interesting. So if you've seen it, let us know what you uh, what you think of this depiction of Renfield. If you've read the book, let us know uh, what you think of that depiction. If you've uh, consumed both and you've seen you know, Dracula dead and loving it, uh, let us know your thoughts about the different uh, iterations and portrayals of uh, Renfield. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have uh, previews of what's coming up, uh, some science, and uh, lots and lots more. Well, not a lot, but some more. We'll be right back. Greetings, weary adventurer. Do you have a taste for the exotic? Do regular snacks no longer provide the thrill ye seek? Would ye rather eat a cod piece than another boring candy bar? Then it's time for ye to sink your teeth into Mythical Meats exotic game sticks. Mythical Meats offers a wide variety of exotic flavors based on creatures of legend to give ye a snack experience of epic proportions. Like it hot? Try the Spicy Creatures Sample Pack, featuring dragon, chupacabra, and werewolf. More in the mood for something a bit milder? Try the Creatures of the Sky Sample Pack, with Pegasus, Griffin, and Phoenix. Can't decide on which one you want? Why not try the Exotic Flavor Sample Pack, featuring all ten flavors, so you can find your favorite. Go to mythicalmeats.com to see the full selection of flavors and place your order. All orders over $49 get free two-day shipping. Mythical Meats Exotic Game Snack Sticks. So good, they're legendary. We're back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation about uh, Robert Montague Renfield. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, please check it out. If you haven't read the book, check that out. And if you're interested in these characters, you know, learn more about them. You know, I'm sure there's stuff that we didn't get to, and you know, d- different versions. Like we said, you know, Dracula dead and loving it. We haven't. We didn't really cover that. We just said he, you know, he was a character. 
But uh, if you like this type of stuff, there is so much out there. So we have, uh, last week we threw down a new battle, so we have battle results for you. Uh, Ashes, what do you got for the battle results? Yeah, so last week we threw down Shantae, you slay, battle of the ferocious fighters. Which skilled combatant has what it takes to best their opponents and be the last one standing? Stipulations were hand-to-hand combat, TKO. Sandbox was the construct. And special guest referee was Tai Lung, yes, the villain from Kung Fu Panda. Yes. And you could choose from John Wick, Jason Bourne, Beatrix Kiddo, or Ethan Hunt. And you all chose John Wick. Winner. And I think that that's who I voted for, too. And that's I think that's, I I think that's, that's accurate. I think, honestly, it would probably, in my opinion, come down to John Wick versus Beatrix Kiddo. And I think that uh, John Wick, Wick is uh, slightly more skilled. Yeah, like it's it's very it's very close, but I think for me it came down to uh, John Wick didn't did more practical fighting, like where this was supposed to be uh, when it came to um, uh, what's her name Beatrix. It was supposed to be more like those old Shaw Brothers films. Mm. So, uh, not that that should take anything away because those Shaw Brothers films are awesome, as you know. I do a podcast called the east meets the west on occasion with uh our buddy rigor but uh you have a wine fact you said i do have some wine well a wine fact to talk about so i learned something uh on our wine weekend up in new hampshire so i tend to be a little bit of a snob when it comes to certain things and i'm really glad i got educated on this one specific thing because um i thought that wine bottles that have those screw caps I thought that those were cheaper I thought that those wines weren't as uh, good of a quality as the ones with the corks especially the actual like real cork wine versus the uh, kind of the, the, the makeshift corks out of that material that they use um, and I was I was incorrect. So those screw caps have a specific name. They're called Stelvins. And what they are are aluminum caps with a liner in them. And what that liner does is it prevents oxygen from getting into your wine during the final, uh, you know, after the wine is bottled, sometimes it's still aged for a little bit longer in the bottle uh, before it hits the shelves and then obviously continues to to age a little bit once it's on the shelves too, which is why there are some wines that you purchase with the uh, understanding that you're not going to consume it anytime soon. You're going to kind of let that rest, let that sit a little bit in the bottle, let the wine mature a little bit before you consume it. Um, so what happens is corks are porous, the material, or even that the, the cork-like material um, that isn't cork, but they use it in place of corks um it's a it's a porous material and oxygen can get into the wine and oxygenate the wine which uh affects the flavor and affects the overall mouthfeel of the wine 
exceptional mouthfeel. Yeah, I know you would love that term. Um, whereas the uh, Stelvin, using the Stelvin to cap it, I mean, A, unscrewing a cap is just so much easier than trying to uncork uh, you know, a, a wine bottle, especially when you are one or two bottles deep already. Um, but, uh, you know, screw cap is definitely easier. But the Stelvin helps preserve the flavor of the wine. So obviously some oxygen is going to get in there. That's just what happens. Um, but your wine isn't going to be as oxidized as it would be if it was corked. And it helps preserve that flavor and makes it so when you open it up to actually consume it, the wine that you are consuming is the wine that the winemaker intended you to consume and not an oxygen, uh, not oxygenated, but oxidized mess, you know, after something has been sitting there for a while. So I remember I, that blew your fucking mind. I know. I was you just were... I I felt honestly I felt like a total asshole because I had been judging the screw caps for so long. One snub. I I know. I admit it. I completely admit it. You know, I had been judging the screw caps for so long because I thought that it was just a cheaper way uh, instead of going with the cork. You know, um, to to bottled your bottles and and cap them and whatnot um but boy was uh, yeah my mind was blown i had no idea and i was trying to find the statistics that the winemaker gave um as to the percent of oxygen that is allowed by a cork versus the percent of oxygen allowed um with the stelvin apparatus and all I remember, I can't remember the exact figures, but all I remember is when I heard those numbers, like my my face like made an actual expression. I was so shocked by the difference. It's a quite a substantial difference when talking about like percentages and whatnot. Um, so, and a lot of local winemakers are moving to you know moving away from from corks and moving to the the Stelvin apparatus because it just preserves the wine so much better. Right, and they also, you know, realize that not everyone is like us where, you know, we each have a glass of wine that's half a bottle. Well, yeah, it, it, again, like it also helps, you know, in the preservation of of the wine that you're consuming. So, you know, if you are only looking to pour yourself a glass, which I do from time to time, you know, instead of having to recork it or you know, try if to you have it. Yeah, yeah, try to recork it or use one of these other, you know, wine stoppers. You know, you have the screw cap already built in. Yeah, it's it's all set, and it's going to keep the oxygen out better than if and you try to record it. It's actually perfect for when you bring wine or buy wine when you go away, and you forget that you don't have a you forgot your your wine cork corkscrew. Cork I was going to say wine corker, wine decorker. Yeah, that's a word. You forget your corkscrew at home. The decorkifier. You forget your corkscrew at home, which has happened to us on occasion, and it's just like, oh, fuck, how am I going to open this wine? Trust and believe I will MacGyver that shit open. But anyways, having a screw cap Stelvin wine topper, obviously you don't have to worry about that. You just screw it open. Yep. So... 
I have a uh, science fact for you today, and uh, my science fact came when I was watching some uh, some paranormal shows uh, over the past week, and one of the things that they talked about in this was, uh, you know, they talked about uh, night and all, they talked about metallic glass, metamaterials, uh, but the thing that I found most interesting was basal ganglia. So it's a part of your brain. It's a group of subcortical nuclei responsible primarily for motor function as well as other roles such as motor learning, executive functions and behaviors, and emotions. Now, that's the big one because it's responsible for uh, the development of emotions and uh, intuition and, depending on how developed your basal ganglia uh, is or are, I should say, because uh, the singular of ganglia is ganglion. Depending on how uh, how developed it is, um, and a lot of researchers noticed this in people who claim to have psychic abilities or were remote viewers, which is one of my favorite things, and they really need to do more with this in movies. Uh, people who were remote viewers... Uh, this is a very um, pronounced area of the brain, like when it when they do brain scans and whatnot. You know, when they do the tests, like the MRIs and the other uh, various, um, you know, uh, neurological tests. I was gonna say cardiology, and I knew that was wrong. Various ne- various other neurological tests to kind of gauge different abilities or to see what areas of the brain aren't working. So they'll inject like a dye, like a contrast dye and different parts of the brain will light up when they're doing different things like, Oh, you know, think about, you know, your favorite piece of art or think about a time you were mad, like different parts of the brain will light up when, you know, you're accessing different memories or when you're accessing different functions, you're like, move your left arm, move your right arm, you know, stuff like that. And they can kind of see, what's damaged and with some of these folks they thought that it was some sort of damage but it just turned out to be a uh, very very advanced basal ganglia so that's my science fact for the day um or for the week i should say so next week we're going to be uh we have a couple of interviews sort of that we're doing one of them's not really an interview so we have one interview but there are multiple people and the other one is we're going to be chatting with our good friend coop about the electric mayhem, especially with the brand new Disney Plus show that just dropped. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, it's the story of you know how the electric mayhem have been around for 50 years, but somehow never recorded an album, which is wild. Uh, but it's a really fun uh, premise for a show, and of course, there's like a ton of celebrities, including Weird Al, that's going to be in this, uh, who is essentially a Muppet. I mean, if you think about it, Weird Al is very much a Muppet. Um, basically, like if a Muppet made a wish to be real, it would be it, it would be Weird Al, I think. Uh, but we're going to be discussing one of one or two of one of those two things next week, probably the Muppets. Um, and then, yes. And, so yes. So next week we will be talking electric mayhem with our buddy Coop, and then the following week we have some special guests on. We have an interview schedule that's going to be fabulous. Uh, all I'm saying is, asylum. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what you get. That's all you get. So next week, electric mayhem. 
two weeks at Asylum Film. Uh, we're going to have a director and potentially writer-producer. So it's going to be awesome. And you know how much we love, we love our, our Asylum, Asylum films. films. Yes. So that is that is guaranteed to be a fantastic episode. Yeah. And if you didn't get a chance uh, on our YouTube channel, I did a live reaction video to the Meg 2 trailer, which looks amazing. And like as soon as I complained about something that I wanted to see in the first movie, uh, they opened the trailer with it. So uh, very exciting. Uh, but I think with that being said, we will see, see you next Thursday. Thursday.